This is episode number two with guitarist and composer of music for television and film, Tony Pasco. Welcome to Fader Jocks. My name is Brian Stevens, freelance musician and recording studio professional. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you grow and develop as an audio engineer, music producer, or recording musician. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Now let's push up those faders. This episode is brought to you by Waves Audio. Now I've used Waves Audio plugins almost every day for more than a decade now, and they're integral to the work that I do And I don't think that I could do the kind of work that I do at the level of excellence that I strive for without Waves plugins. I'm a longtime user of the Mercury Bundle, the SSL Bundle, the Abbey Road Bundle, and they're always adding lots of cool new plugins. Now, if you go to faderjocks.com slash waves, you can check out their October specials, specials like their True Verb. It's a reverb I use on almost every single mix that I do. Regularly, it's 99 bucks, but if you hit our special link you'll get it for $39 or the VEQ4 just think vintage Neve regularly it's $149 you can get it on sale during October through our link for $39 or if you're looking for a really big deal they've got the Chris Lord Algae signature series of plugins normally that whole bundle is $399 but this month if you hit faderjocks.com slash waves you can get it for $99 I'm so happy to have Waves as our premier sponsor for the Fader Jocks podcast. So go to our link, faderjocks.com slash waves, and get in on the action today. Waves Audio, it's what the pros use. Hey guys, welcome to episode number two, and I'm so glad that you're back. If this is your first episode, you can go listen to episode number one with the amazing Matt Still, producer and engineer. It was just last week, and I'll just tell you, it's 12.24 on a Tuesday. Uh, The episodes are supposed to come out at noon on Tuesday, and I'm still actually in the middle of editing this particular episode. So, uh, We're going to be a little late today, obviously. If you're hearing this, it's a little late in the day on Tuesday, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. The the theme last week was iteration. Uh, You're you're not going to hear a ton of iteration this week because uh, in in trying to work on consistency, my uh, my theme for this week, uh, I had a lot of things drop in. One of the issues that I have in my life and in the work that I do is this issue of consistency. And Fader Jocks, if nothing else, is an exercise in consistency. Every week, can I turn out a podcast, preferably at noon on a Tuesday, and do that with regularness, with consistency? Can I add structure into my life that assures that on Tuesdays, I'll get that done? Now, if you've had the week I've had the past week, makes consistency a little difficult. The the one thing that immediately turned my week upside down and I wanted to tell you about was um, Monday, I got a call from a guy that's uh, the editor of Drum Magazine. Totally out of the blue, uh, Andy Dorshuk's number was not even in my phone. I just saw a number from Nashville call and I thought, I might want to answer that one. 
And it was about 15 minutes before I had a, a, a morning gig. And so I'm rushing, trying to get business done, but not make him feel rushed. Anyway, so the, uh, the call was about getting to do an interview for Drum Magazine with Bron Daler, who is the drummer for a band called Mastodon. And if you're into progressive metal music or progressive hard rock, I don't even know really what those guys call their music. Uh, that's what Mastodon is in terms of genre and sound. And so it was a very big opportunity. But uh, over the course of the next couple of days, it was a matter of going back and forth, trying to find when those guys would be available, exactly what time, trying to work around the schedule for their producer, who their producer's only Brendan O'Brien. This this is the second record they've done with Brendan. The first one that they recorded with Brendan called Crack the Sky was several years ago. It was their biggest selling record and probably, to me, their best record to date. And um, so just throwing that one item into an already busy schedule uh, meant having to move a lot of different things around and move them around on the fly. At the same time, I'll be honest with you, other than maybe hearing about eight Mastodon tunes and seeing several videos of Braun playing uh, Modern Drummer Festival and stuff like that, I really didn't know a lot about this band. So, of course, in talking about the idea of consistency, hopefully, if there's one thing that I can hang my hat on, it's that there's a level of consistency to all the work that I do that really doesn't go below a certain uh, threshold, uh, regardless of how I, you feel about anything you've ever heard that I've uh, played on or produced or engineered. Internally, I have a bar that I always try to get to. And Sometimes there have been a few records I've worked on where uh, people really thought that I was a, a magician and with any recording or any kind of pro creative project, usually what people are looking for and the budgets that they have to work with uh, don't necessarily match up. And so with any project, I tend to do way more work. Some people would call it a character flaw. I just call it an assurance of, of quality. I tend to do a lot more work on any given project than the budget will allow for. And so in this particular instance, like any project I've ever worked on, there's a set amount of money for doing this article. And there's a certain amount of time it's going to take to gather all of the information and a certain amount of time it's going to take to actually write those 3,000 words. But for me to be intelligent and go into that situation prepared, I had to know more about this band. I had to know about their music. I had to know about their uh, track record in terms of sales for albums, uh, their touring numbers to get an idea of what their audience looks like. Now, none of these are questions that I would necessarily ask in doing the kind of article that I'm doing for Drum. But for me to go in and ask the kind of intelligent questions that let those guys know, let Braun know, let uh, Tom Tapley, the guy who's engineering that record, uh, I may get to talk with Brendan. That's still kind of up in the air. I've, I'm going back tomorrow, actually, to the studio for for about an hour or so to gather more specific information about the recording of the record. But all of this, I, I tell you, because I look at my job in 
anything that I do is to maintain a very high consistency level in the quality of work that I do, the quality of the work in progress, and the quality of the end product. Hopefully, you thought that the Fader Jocks uh, podcast last week sounded amazing, and there were some things that I had to do. Even though we captured great audio, there are things that you have to do to make it sound great. Uh, same thing with this week. There's certain challenges because we're using Skype to communicate initially that uh, on the back end, there's some things that you have to do to make things sound great. And it takes a little bit of work uh, with this interview. I, I spent, I kid you not, at least 12 hours listening to albums from Mastodon, checking out videos online, live videos from gigs they were doing in clubs and basements in 2000 and 2001, all the way up until huge festival shows that they were playing as as early as this past year, 2005. And I even found a few 2016 clips of things that I could watch. Uh, so I really wanted to get an idea of the trajectory of this band and um, what they're really about. And there's some very unique things about that band that had I not known them, my conversation last week with Braun, which took about two hours, would not have been nearly as relaxed and the conversations that I'll have going back to the studio tomorrow and talking with Tom, the engineer, and looking at what they've done exactly from a technical standpoint to make that record, all of that is informed by that 12 or so hours that I had to shove in uh, to listen to records, watch videos, read things online. And that's all in the middle of doing all the other paid work that I do. Uh, right, right now, we've got sponsors for Fader Jocks, but that really is just to pay the overhead. That's not paying me for any of this. Uh, and the amount of money I would make for an article, you certainly can't pay your mortgage on, car note maybe, but there's a lot of other work that needs to get shoved into the week to make sure that all the, the bills are paid, the lights stay on, and uh, we pay for two brand new puppies that we got over the over the weekend, that's definitely a hamper to uh, trying to stay on a consistent schedule with this podcast, training puppies. Uh, but interestingly enough, to tie it all together, uh, one of the devices that it looks like has been uh, foisted into my life to help me learn consistency is trying to train and raise two brand new puppies. They're Dachshund Beagle Mixes, brother and sister, we, we couldn't just take one. We had to get both of them. You couldn't separate this pair. They were adorable. Uh, but they need to be house trained. They need to be uh, trained on all kinds of things. And so, um, you know, add into that mix. Because with my personal life, more and more, I'm trying to add uh, more consistency and a higher level or a higher threshold for that consistency. So, of course, what am I doing? I'm looking at dog training videos. Go to briansteves.com slash puppy, and you'll see some of the videos, the ones that were worth bookmarking. I bookmarked this week, the things that I found valuable. Uh, I'm reading books. There's a couple of books showing up today that are dog training books, and I'm trying to shove all of this knowledge and all of this um, homework into an already busy week, a week that's filled with uh, doing production manager duties, uh, front of house, uh, lighting stuff for a theater uh, program that I'm doing this week. It's an adaptation of a bunch of Broadway musical stuff. Uh, I'm also trying to do the other gigs that I do, whether it's playing drums or recording stuff, mixing stuff. 
when you shove all of that in, uh, there doesn't leave a lot of time for homework. And and I'll just tell you now, puppies are an all-consuming endeavor. Gee whiz, dude. Uh, we can talk more about that. But I just want to take a few minutes and let you know what my theme for this week has been. And one of the things that I'm really striving to work toward is a higher level of consistency. So even though it's going to make it a little difficult to get some other work done I need to get done today, and even though it's going to mean... Uh, really trying to manage a lot with uh, puppies and finishing this episode and all the other things I got to do. I'm working for that consistency, trying to get it all done. I hope you guys appreciate that. And I appreciate you for just coming and listening every week. Uh, This is only week number two, but every single week, unless something weird really happens or it's a national holiday that I need to go take puppies to the dog park for, I'll probably still do it then. Uh, you're going to get one of these, and next week we'll have another great interview. But this week, this week I've got my friend Tony Pasco, and Tony I've known for a few years now. He was living in my hometown of Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, we don't get a chance to talk about his backstory with companies like PV, but uh, he's been a music industry professional for more than 25 years uh, as a session guitarist, as a product specialist. Uh, originally when I met Tony, I think either he was working for PV at the time or he had just transitioned out of working for PV because his new day job is as a composer for television and film music. And we're not just talking about local cable access music. We're talking about shows like Duck Dynasty, Wahlburgers, Jenny Loves Donnie. On, all of those are on A&E. Or you've got Discovery Channel shows like Fat and Furious, uh, Shark Week, Boss Hog, uh, gee whiz, like if I just went down this list, there are about 27 different television shows that currently sport Tony Pasco music. And uh, this guy has found a unique niche in the world with uh, the way that he does things, the kind of music that he writes, and the sorts of shows that his music ends up in. And we're going to talk all about that today. He's also going to let you in on a new recording project that he's working on, but I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Oh, and guy that I've gigged with. I mean, that's the other part. I totally left that out. This guy still plays live, and he's an amazing guitar player live. So let's uh, let's get into this with my buddy, Tony Pasco. everybody today i'm so excited to have my buddy tony pasco here with us tony say hey to everybody hey thank you for having me i really appreciate it man i appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and hang out with me and talk about some stuff and i've already told everybody uh, who you are and what you do and that kind of thing but why don't you tell everybody currently how do you make money what are your current income streams well, um, <laughs> you, you got to be diverse. If you're going to be a musician in this day and age, um, you got to have multiple <laughs> streams of income. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of music for TV. I'm currently uh, featured on 27 TV shows. And, and, and I'm sure you guys have the list and all that. But um, that's, that's two been, seven, right? 20, two seven, 27 two seven, yeah. television shows. That's a good start. Yes. That's a good start. Hey, it started with one and, you know, with Duck Dynasty was my first one. And 
uh, you know, the Lord blessed us with a hit and, you know, doors open and then Shark Week followed and then we we got Wahlburgers and then we got, you know, Wicked Tuna and, and then, it, you know, it goes on and on and on. Now I do like 30 for 30 and, and I do, um, you know, some stuff on CNBC and, and those prison shows, which is a big deal. And so it, it's, it, it rolled into a lot of this stuff. Now I'm, I'm just very fortunate and lucky to have a resume and enough music um, in my catalog where, you know, show, I find out I'm on shows um, now that I didn't really write music specific for. They just went into my catalog and pulled stuff. And then all of a sudden we're like, hey, we're on a new show. And they pulled X amount of tracks and they're going to start using them. So you're like, hey, all right, I got I got the music working for me now. And so th- so that's been a, a huge blessing. Um and I'm very grateful. <laughs> and and the TV thing, which was something I never really pursued, but um, what, what's been so nice about that, what I didn't realize is growing up being a musician, wanting to be a professional musician my whole life, uh, you know, you you, you you know, you chase the radio, you chase the radio airplane. I got to be on the radio. I got to have a video. And, yep. and then you end up finding out that, wow, there's all of this notoriety and, and, and income, of course, from TV. And like now, I mean, you can turn on, you know, these shows that I'm on, they play, they run in reruns, you know, that's money. Yeah. They play in all these other countries and guess what? That's money too. So you get a show like a duck dynasty, you know, where they average, um, probably three to well, maybe anywhere between three or 4 million viewers a day yep because they're running those episodes on a and e constantly and and you're in a bunch of countries where they're running reruns and and shows so all of a sudden you realize it's like wow i I have quite a few people um hearing me and hearing my stuff and then you know then you times that by you know how many other shows i'm on and and you know you get you start building up a reputation and you start building up you know, that, that thing that you were chasing in one area, all of a sudden you, you, you get it in another. So, uh, you know, you have to be open-minded enough to allow yourself to have those, uh, successes. Sometimes as musicians, we tend to be our own worst enemy. So, um, allowing yourself to have these things, uh, sometimes is a tough pill to swallow when you're so focused on one thing, you know, and then all of a sudden it comes from another direction. So you got to be able to you know, switch gears really quick, but doing that, you know, and plus I I'm getting more involved in, in, in some TV shows now where I'm writing music specifically for the show. Mm -hmm. I've been asked to do some documentary work and, and, and put music score music for independent films. And I had a a song show up in an independent film that was at the sun. Um, was that sunset or Sundance film festival Sundance yeah Yeah, Sundance film festival that was really cool I never expected to have anything like that happen what Um, uh, what film was that is that something that we'll be able to check out soon it's an independent film it's been out uh, for a couple of years it's called Dear Dad and uh, it's a nice little short you know, independent film, short story film and uh, I have the the title credit right at the end and uh, and it was cool. I mean, they showed it everywhere. It showed up in a bunch of theaters. You know, the whole filmmaking thing and the whole TV, you know, it's a whole new world for me. I mean, I'm just, I grew up being a musician. So I never thought that this end of, of the industry would, would be open to me. But here I'm, I'm doing well in it. So uh, I'm, ta- I'm taking it as, as, as it comes, and uh, which is also opening doors for me to go back to the other end of the industry that, that I love so much and that I want to do. So I have new projects coming out and a new record that'll be out early next year. So uh, it's just uh, 
plugging away <laughs> the well, best can, I know how. Can you talk about that new record yet? Sure. Yeah, I, I partnered um, with Fred LeBlanc uh, from Cowboy Mouth, the singer-drummer from Cowboy Mouth, crazy guy from New Orleans. Fabulous. Um, amaz- Fabulous. Yeah, amazingly talented guy. Um, probably, in my opinion, the most one of the most underrated front guys ever. I mean, he is really a, a, a something to see. If you check out on YouTube, go to Cowboy Mouth and check out any of the um, Jazz Fest footage. Yep. I mean, these guys are playing in front of 50, 70,000 people, and Fred is demanding that crowd better than most seasoned professionals that 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 you know you see in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and stuff like that. So yeah, and he's behind a he's behind a set of drums while he's doing it. That's what makes time, it more amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing drums while he's doing it. So, yeah. you know, people say, oh, he's like Phil Collins. I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 those drums don't hide him whatsoever. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but, you know, what's so nice about Fred is, you know, my dad, when I was growing up, was a professional musician back in, in, in the 60s in Chicago and everything. And my dad was a lead singer drummer. Oh, okay. And it's just funny. I have this record with this guy who's a lead singer drummer, we just hit it off because it was kind of very familiar, I guess. And, you know, Fred used to always say, oh, you guitar players, you know, you just want to crank up. You don't understand about what I have to go through being the timekeeper, you know what yeah. I mean? And the lead singer. But for me, he, he and I just fell into a natural rhythm and um, the project's called Swamp House. And we wrote these, uh, we have an EP coming out. We wrote these, you know, five great tunes and we just had fun with it. We didn't go in with an agenda. Um, we just wrote. And uh, what came out is really, you know, I'm very proud of it. And it's going to be, it's going to be cool. We got a lot of getting a lot of support even before it's even out. I mean, um, we have a TV show where this, our first single, we just shot a music video. The song's going to be the theme song for a TV show that was shot here in Pensacola. Cool. Called the Martellis. Um, just really cool stuff. Radio. We have, like I was telling you before, we have radio wanting to play the song, which is a first for me. So <laughs> I was like, yay. Okay. So this is, this you're, is you're already starting to get traction and the, the project is not even officially released at this point. No, we release it. Yeah, we release it at the beginning of next year. Um, and we'll start dropping the single first, of course. And, you know, you have to do those things and get the video out. Right, right. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do all that stuff leading up to the release. But, uh, yeah, it, we, like I said, it, it's been, it, it's nice doing it this way to a certain extent because it, it's almost like, you know, I've been in the music industry for so many years, just in the trenches battling, you know, fighting a good fight the best I know how, and Fred's sure. been out there doing it. And it is kind of nice sometimes when the two of us come together and all of a sudden we kind of join our resumes together and people get it. Yeah. And, and of course the music has to be there. And I really do feel strongly that this is probably some of the best stuff we've written. I mean, it's, it's, it's blues, it's rock, it's, you know, it's that Americana thing. And what was funny is uh, really the only agenda we had going into writing it was I have this, not saying I'm right by any means, but I have this thing in my head where, you know, I like this raw lo-fi type of thing. Mm -hmm. I always have, um, you know, when I grew up in Chicago, you know, I was born and raised in Chicago and I grew up um, on the Northwest side, Wrigleyville area, go Cubs. But anyway, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I came up at a time when rock wasn't pretty. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Now, I almost have a hard time relating sometimes because now you got to be an actor and a model and, right. you know, you got to be this, you got to be all a pitch guy. You got to be all these things in, in, to be a musician. And, and I, I never grew up with any of that. You know, I came from the era where rock was ugly. It was you rough, know what I mean? Yeah, rough we, hewn. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know what? We were the undesirables. You know, I came up, I mean, you look at the Ramones, those were ugly dudes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You didn't put a poster of them on your wall, you'd frighten yourself. I mean, I, I came from that era of the Sex Pistols. I have this kind of punk attitude that I take towards a lot of what I do, but I grew up in Chicago, which is where, where there was so much blues, you right. know? So I have this weird mixture um, of, of rock and, 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 and punk and blues because that's what I, I was exposed to. And, and then the city life and the winters that are, that are just terrible in Chicago. Yep. And so for me, um, you know, I kind of have that in me and I kind of bring that to a lot of my projects. So, but it, it has turned out to be kind of my thumbprint now. Right. And I get asked to do certain things because over time you don't even realize that you have a style and you fall into this. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have what I have with, you know, with Duck Dynasty, we had a hit and stuff like that. All of a sudden people know that of you. Right. And that's what they want to hear. And, uh, you know, I didn't ever realize like, like, Hey, Oh, that's my thing. Oh, they consider that my thing now, you know? So that's, that's nice. So, but that's what we're doing with this record is just, Kind of going with that kind of lo-fi, raw, you know, trying to bring back a little hint of that ugliness because music has just gotten way too pretty and way too nice. Very polished, very slick. Everything's everything's gritted and tuned and and very clean. Well, yeah, I, I, nothing wrong with it. I give so much credit to those guys that know how to do all right, that. Right, right. I'm just not one of those guys. I don't come from that. You know what I mean? At all. I came from secondhand equipment, learning how to do it on my own. Um, instructions never came with anything. You just figured it out. And you're like, all right, how much noise can I make with this thing? You know what I mean? Sure. And, and, and eventually some people goes, Hey, that's actually music. It's not so much noise. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. came from, I came from that mentality where, you know, I, you, it's a different mindset. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying that I'm right by any means. It's just, that's it's, my experience. It just that's, is what you gravitated towards. It's, it's what makes you who you are. It makes you unique, I guess. Yeah. So for me, when people say, oh, well, you know, you should use this program or this plugin. And I'm like, oh, I can get that with, uh, you know, Mike and this guitar in my bathroom. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of miss the art a little bit. And I talk about this when people ask me about what I do for a living and doing the tracks and stuff. And a lot of them really can't believe, first of all, how little of equipment that I, that I do a lot with. I do a lot with a little life. And I feel like, you know, if you have access to too much, then mm -hmm. it kind of pulls the creativity. You almost become a slave to it. Sure. But if, if you only have one reverb, you're going to really learn that one reverb right. inside and out. Right. Right. You're not paralyzed by, by too many choices. Yeah. But now it's nice to have choices to a certain extent. And I always tell people it's nice to have these things. We're in an age because you got to think, I always go back and I, and I watch these documentaries and I read these books on how Pet Sounds was made mm -hmm. or how um, Sgt. Pepper was made. And you look back and they had nothing. They had no gear. They had four tracks and nothing. You know what I mean? Right. They had to figure it out. When you look, the, and, and you look at the gear and how 
you know, Led Zeppelin one, two, three, and four were made. You're, mm-hmm. you're just like astonished, and we're so blessed to have this digital age where we everything's on a laptop. Yep, and anything we want is a plug-in or a download, and and that's wonderful. But you would think the music would be a hundred times more creative then, since we have all that, and it's not. And and to me, it almost it stifens us from being creative. It's it's almost like when you have nothing and you ha- and you, all you can afford is that one compressor, like I did. And I had to go to a I had to go to a pawn shop to buy mine. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's all I could afford. I used it to death and figured that sucker out because it's all I had. Right. And there's something magical, I think, about that. So I try not to get too far from that for me. Well, that uh, that raises one question. Do you have a piece of hardware or a piece of software that you cannot possibly work without? Uh, not software. I, I'm a fan of software. So don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want to come to, come down like some of these guys. Cause some of these guys have, uh, some of these plugins are just amazing sure, they, sure. and they do sound as good as some of this original stuff. I right. mean, it, it's scary how good the technology has gotten. And I really do appreciate having all that in a laptop, right. you know? Well, is um, there, but what about a piece of hardware? Is there, is there one thing you go, I have to have this when I do my work for me. Um, and if I could almost extend it to two, okay. you, I, for me, you can't do anything without a good mic and a, and a, and a compressor. I'm, I'm you, with you. You know what I mean? I'm with you. Um, you can record anything anywhere in the world with a microphone and you can make that mic sound like any kind of mic you want it to sound like with a good compressor. That's true. You really can't yeah. go wrong. You can record any sound anywhere in the world and turn it into music if you got a microphone. And and I'm a guitar player and and of course there's guitars and there's things that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to recording and and doing what I do for a living, Throwing a mic in front of something and seeing what kind of sound it picks up because the mics are all interpretation and and that's what I love about. But people ask, you know, they they tend to not understand what the mic's job is. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a speaker. What you hear out of a speaker is what the interpretation of that speaker is giving you. Right. Whatever the bass response is and all that. A microphone is the exact same thing. Sure. It's how it takes the information in or the sound. And and I and it's and to me it's all about not defining what you record into it. It's manipulating it yeah. once it's there. But without that microphone, you can't that you can't begin anything without that mic. So it's for me, from a recording guy, you know, if I have my engineer hat on, I gotta have I gotta have that mic. And it could be any mic. I just have to figure out the personality of that mic so I know what to do with it or how to pick something up. Because for me, sound, it, you know, for what I do, everything's about the, the the tonality of the sound. Sure. And we're and placement. So So you're not you're not a strong just I, I use a fifty seven all the time. You you leave yourself a little more leeway. Yeah, I think you should. What what choices do you usually pull out? I mean, oh, of course, I grew up on 57s. I mean, you can't beat a 57. 57 is a friggin' workhorse. You right. can throw a 57 in front of anything, and you're going to get some pretty decent tones out of it. Yep. Um, especially the old ones. And nothing against sure, but they don't make them like they used to. And, and if you can go on eBay and find an old 57 beat to all get out... <laughs> That that mic will be your best friend. You will pack that mic in a, in your luggage and take it a- everywhere with you. Oh yeah, I gotta say, and, and 
uh, you know, and another great mic is, I hate to say this, I have made such wonderful recordings on my iPhone. Hmm. The microphone that comes in an iPhone and some of the some of the um, hardware you can download in your iPhone, you know, to kind of manipulate the mic and all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God, I, I've I've done acoustic recordings on my iPhone that are just amazing. So for me, that's where it, that's where it starts. Um, but yeah, fifty seven is great. I like. I picked up an old Radiohead fifty eight hmm. from, from the sixties. Wow. Um, cleaned it up, fixed it all up, and everything. Mm-hmm. That is an amazing. Mike, because it's not it's not nearly as good of a mic as some of the newer ones that are out there like mm-hmm. I, I gotta tell you like um electro harmonics makes some great mics um audio technica makes yep. some amazing mics i mean everybody puts out a decent product mm-hmm. i'm sure you know puts out really good stuff but i tend to go back to some of the the, the cheaper mics are much better than people ever give them credit for they think because of the price tag it, that it's not good I I've had some mics. You remember the old mics from the seventies and some of the early sixties where the cord was already attached to them. Oh they yeah. Didn't have proper mic cables yet. Yep. I have some of those like old electro harmonics mics and stuff. The little angled ones. Yep. I'm with you. I've got some in my locker you know as well. Talking with the, yeah. The little on off switch. Yep. I've recorded acoustic guitars with that. Um, you know what else? It has a great mic in it. I have an old Tascam um, four track cassette four track with the built-in mic. Oh yeah. Wonderful yep. mic in there. So for me, I try to think of, I, you know, and you can buy this stuff dirt cheap. Now, nobody's paying attention to any of that gear. So I, I snag up pieces all the time. Well, they, they will be now. Um, <laughs> You'll have some competition. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe now, but Hey, God bless them. Let the, I, I, and I'm telling you, if you're, if you're young and you're looking to get into it and you're trying to stock your studio, and you want to get sounds that the, the guy down the street doesn't have or somebody else doesn't have, I'm telling you, those things will be your, your, your secret weapons. Those will be priceless to you because they do things that the plugins, I mean, you can manipulate the plugins to do those things, but right out of the gate to just plug something in and go, oh, there it is. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's really, uh, for me, I like those oddities. Right. To me, if, if it's beaten up and a little bit ugly, that's how I feel. That's how I am. You know, that's how I look. <laughs> you know? You found, you found a friend. <laughs> right? But that's where I come from. That's my comfort zone. And yeah. that's kind of how I, I, take, I take a very punk rock approach, you know, very Lou Reed and how I record. You know what I mean? What does it sound like if I played acoustic guitar in my shower? Right. Let's, hey, let me take this $4 mic. <laughs> and, and plug it in to a Tascam cassette player and yep. let me play something. And then I do it and then I pop it into my computer because that's a wonderful thing. Us having all these access to all these tracks and everything. Cause like I said, I don't want to give the message that I'm against any of that at all, but right. um, cause I use it every day. It's really a godsend. You know, it's, it's taking that more artistic approach to recording sure. again. Cause at one time, you know, making records was an art form. And we've made it so technical where I think it's kind of lost a little bit of the art to it. Oh, yeah. And, and a lot of what you hear on the shows that I'm on is a $4 mic in front of a, you know, $99, you know, Recording King acoustic guitar with really old Dean Markley strings on it. I love when the strings get old. Yeah. They get a little schmutz and, in uh, there, a little bit of schmutz, and they uh, just kind of, they play back at you it. a little bit. Yeah. 
and they squeak when your fingers move and this and that. And you know what ended up happening was I started sending in those tracks and all of a sudden that was what they started requesting from me. When I sent them clean stuff, well, this sounds like you did it in the studio. I'll never forget that response I got right out of the gate with Duck Dynasty. I sent him some tracks. And of course, I want to be audio guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is professional. This is my first professional gig, you know? And I'm like, here you go. And it's polished, squeaky clean as, as, as best as I could get it. And uh, it's digital sounding and, and like, the you know, what's out there now. Sure. I tried to get as close as I could to that and sent it in. And they're like... Well, this sounds like you did it in a studio. Ah. Like, yeah, I have a studio. That's what I did. Well, we're looking something a little more like somebody played it a little more raw. And I'm like, oh, dude, you don't say that to me. <laughs> and and that's and they're like, well, yeah, send us. So I started sending them how the stuff, how I wanted it to sound. Right. And then more. They kept requesting more. And then all of a sudden, more of my track showed up on TV. Huh. And it was like, oh, OK. You know, I. Like the guy said to me, he goes, whatever reverb you use, keep using that. And it was the room. I, I would o- always open my, my studio room because I had a bleed right. in it. And I'm like, I'll, I'll use the friggin' bleed on that acoustic track. Yeah. And I threw it in there. And that was one of the things. Oh, man, it sounds like we're sitting in the room with you. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going for. Then great. That's cool. So d- just being yourself and, and doing what you like, you kind of stumble upon something that's unique that way. That- yeah, by not being almost anti-plug-in yeah. in a way. Well, I'm giving them back something a little that's a little more real. You know, you look at, like, I, I told this one kid one time, I made this this comparison. I said, look at the prequels to Star Wars, and now look at the new version right. of Star Wars. You know, when they when they got away from all the digital stuff and went back to actually building ships again and doing location shoots, there's a grittiness to it. it, it, it it's real. Yeah. When you use plugins and reverbs and all that kind of stuff, it's going to sound wonderful, but it's not going to sound real. And a guitar in a room sounds a certain way. Yeah. And it just does. Vocals in a room sound a certain way. Drums. You hit yeah. a drum or, or something in a room. Oh, yeah. And and that's what I try to capture. I don't close mic anything anymore. Hmm. And um, I, I let they I put bleed and I put the bleed back in everything, and that's become kind of my style. But I can't really take credit for it per se because you know everybody learns from somebody else. And I have to say, um, like Steve Albini, one of my all time favorite producers growing up, um, Brendan O'Brien, yep. um, you know Butch Vig to a certain extent. You know, because uh, again, I'm from Chicago. So oh, yeah. those are the guys that, you know, that I know of, you know, Albini's from Chicago. Butch Vig is right from, you know, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, Brendan O'Brien isn't, though. I think he's is he, he's, he's from down here. here. Yeah, he's from down here, actually. Yeah. 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 He's from Atlanta area. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. But what I love about him, just talking about producers, per se, you know, you listen to that second Pearl Jam record that he did. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with 10. 10 was a good good record, but that second record is amazing. It is. Hey guys, we're going to take a short pause, but afterwards we're going to talk a whole lot more with Tony Pasco. But right now, we need to pay the mortgage. So let's hear about some sponsors. You know, as good as business has been for me, as successful as I've been in my own music and audio related business, um, business 
can be tedious. Business, at least the office part of it, is not something I really enjoy. I don't enjoy sitting and invoicing and and doing all the kind of stuff that you have to do. But that's why there's FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a simple and intuitive system that lets you spend less time on paperwork. And the way it looks, you'll wow your clients with how professional all your documentation looks. You can automate time-consuming tasks like organizing expenses, tracking your time, or, or following up with clients after you've billed them using just a few clicks. And because everything's organized in the cloud, you can access your FreshBooks from anywhere, your desktop, your phone, or your tablet. It doesn't matter where you are, you can do the business of your business. And if you'll go to faderjocks.com slash FreshBooks right now, you can try it for 30 days. Invoicing, expenses, time tracking, even take payments online through FreshBooks. That's faderjocks.com slash FreshBooks. Try it for 30 days. I've been using it for years, and now it's time for you to use what all the cool kids are using, FreshBooks. Guys, anybody that knows me well knows that I'm always looking to increase my productivity and level up on the abilities that I have to do the work that I do every day. And there's one thing that I started using a couple of years ago that has really helped me put my brain in a completely different gear, and that's Alpha Brain from On It. Now, if you haven't already heard of nootropics, nootropics are dietary supplements that help support increased brain function, including memory, focus, and processing speed. So whether it's a work project, a social gathering, or some very athletic musical performance that you need to achieve, taking Alpha Brain is like adding an extra gear for your brain. It's a way to level up naturally. So go to faderjocks.com slash brain today and try Alpha Brain for 30 days. I've been taking it every day for the past few years, and I've seen a huge difference in my mental capacity to process and remember and be faster about thinking. Alpha Brain is all natural. It's herbal. There are no harsh or dangerous chemicals. So you don't have to worry about frying anything. You're not getting any weird, buzzy highs. They also have a money-back guarantee. They call it their keep-it guarantee. And this is how much they are confident about their product. If you try it and you don't like it, you just send them an email. They'll give you 100% of your money back, and you can keep the rest of that month. You don't even have to send it back. That's how confident they are. And I'm so confident, I decided I wanted them as one of the sponsors for our podcast. I really do think that Alpha Brain can be that extra little thing that you need to level up in your life and in your career. So that's Alpha Brain. Go to faderjocks.com slash brain. Try it for 30 days. Alpha Brain from Onnit.com. It's like getting a sixth gear for the sports car that is your brain. And I tell people, they ask me, well, how do I get into it? How do I learn how to mix? And, and I'm telling them, if you listen to music, everything is there. There's your teacher. 
Yeah. These I consider those guys kind of my teacher because growing up, my dad being a professional musician, we used to listen to records, but we didn't just listen to them, we studied them. Oh, yeah. And my dad used to always say, like the old chess records, because, you know, again, I'm from Chicago, so that's what I had access to. Mm-hmm. Those old blues records, you know, you had the bass on one side, you had the guitar on the other, you had the drums, you had the, there was a certain style how they panned and mixed everything. Yeah. And if you close your eyes and you learn how to listen and study these recordings, there's your schooling right there. And I never realized that my dad gave me that my whole life. So when I listened to that second Pearl Jam record, it was amazing because I could visually see them on stage. And that's how, and he, he, all he was and what he's the king of is capturing what's there. Right. And then amplifying it by 10. You know what I mean? He, oh, yeah. he, his thumbprint is on all those recordings because then listen to the last ACDC record that he did. You know what I mean? I, it, 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 if you play those two records side by side, you hear Brendan O'Brien's style of what he does. For sure. For sure. How he pans, how he, he compresses, how he, where things sit in a mix. And I pay attention to, to those things. And, and I, you hear a lot of stuff and he's just, his stuff doesn't sound like a lot of stuff on the radio. So my ear kind of went to him. Steve Albini's another guy, because again, you know, I don't know if you watched that documentary with Dave Grohl, where he talks about going to Chicago as a kid and being impressed by the punk scene Yeah, in Chicago at the Cubby Bear and all that. Oh yeah. That's where I grew up. I'm from that area oh. of Chicago. So, so you're Steve right Albini, there. Yeah. 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 Where Dave Grohl's, it was funny when I watched that episode, I was like, oh my God, that's just a, mile from my house you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and and even though those guys are a couple years older than me but i remember that that time growing up and punk was big and it was this weird time where we had a blues you know because again chicago has a big blues scene and a punk scene at the same time mm. so so for me i'm all about you know the the you know dead kennedys and and you know all that kind of stuff and 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 um Susie and the Banshees, Albini was in a big punk band at the time, and he was producing a lot of those records, and there were tapes, of course, at the time, and right. people would um, you know, just give those tapes out and stuff, but uh, I remember that stuff, and um, you know, it was a big, big influence. So then when you hear records that these guys do, it's, it stays with you. You don't think you're a product of your environment, but you really are. For sure, for sure. So definitely with you, between blues and and punk, visceral, organic, those are the kind of words that haven't heard a ton of your stuff. That definitely is what comes to mind. Those are the kind of things that come to mind when I hear your stuff. I definitely hear visceral and organic and, and earthy in some cases, you know, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I, so I come, from the, I come from a more of an emotional I guess, place. Right. Then, 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 uh, you know, in my head, technical, I mean, you got to have that balance, but like I was talking about Brendan O'Brien, Steve Albini. Well, if you also watch that, that documentary with Dave Grohl, he Albini's in that one episode and he talks about how he set up his studio and all this, which is, I I'm a geek like that too. I love how he records drums and, and I love how atmosphere plays a huge part, but you know, he's kind of a cranky, <laughs> you know he doesn't mind letting you know his opinion <laughs> don't yell at me yeah don't yell at me you're my hero don't yell at me you know what i mean i'd be a little afraid i think because he's kind of in he's a quiet intimidating kind yeah. of guy yeah but just you know again 
let's go back to you know what people were saying. I said with Brandon O'Brien. Here's another example. Look at the second Nirvana record that Steve Albini did. Yeah, you know nothing against Butch Vig for Nevermind, but it's a totally different record than the first one. Right. Again, these bands went. Uh, you know, at Pearl Jam and, and Nirvana at that time. Look at how they changed producers from from their first album to the second album, and how much or more organic and different. Sure. Those bands became and the music was totally different. And so for me, you know, I like that. And Albini, of course, recorded Nirvana, that second record up in a house up off the lake in, in, in I think, Wisconsin somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I, and I guess they were miserable the whole time they were up there recording, which to me, that plays a huge part. I love that part of it, too. And the experience of yeah, the recording infuses infuses the recording with with something special. That experience. Yeah. Oh, because it's a it's a snapshot. The, the songs really at the end of the day, um, Buddy Waters. I, I I read an article one time, and he said, you know, they ask him, well, you know, you never play, you know, you know, th- this song or that song got my mojo working or whatever. You don't play the songs the same, and he goes, because I'm not the same mm. I was then, and that na- and and now, and and he goes, songs should evolve. You know, there should be many different versions of a song over over its lifespan because they take a life of their own. And, and, and I get a little like, you know, you, some musicians, I understand they want to play the song like it's written. You know what I mean? I get that. That's cool. Cause people want to hear it. Like, cause that's how they remember it's it. It's familiar. Um, yeah. It's familiar. Yeah. But you gotta do something with it over time. You know what I mean? Let it, let it evolve a yeah. little bit. That's the art. The art of it is the evolution for sure. And, and that's where I always come back to. And I know it's not a popular opinion with, with a lot of performers and a lot of industry people now because I, I just come from, but I can't help it. That's just, you know what I mean? It's like I'm Johnny Rotten in the studio. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> that guy. You yeah. know, I'm yeah. all emotion and I'm all, how does it make me feel? What's, you know, everything's about tempo and placement. You know, right. is it portraying the feel? It, it doesn't have to be a great take. Mm-hmm. It could be a very sloppy take that portrays the best emotion ever. Right. Well, tell, tell me this, that artistic ability to just go with your emotion and trust that. How do you, did you develop that or did you get to a, did you have to get to a point where you were comfortable with letting the critic go and just going totally with the artistic emotion? Was there a transition or were you always like that? Uh, I think part of me was always like that, but growing up, you know, you don't want to offend anybody and you know, you're just so eager to make it, you know, and have a career and, and you just want this thing that you you know so bad you dream about it every night you think about it 24 hours a day it 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 it, it, it consumes your whole life um and you practice and you try to become a better musician and you get in the bands and and I got to say I think what happens over time for me you know I I always joke with my wife, we watched that Katy Perry documentary one time and they all kept saying, well, she never gave up from the time from 18 to 20. She never gave up. She worked at it and it finally, and <laughs> I'm two like, years, she worked 18 at 18 to 20. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Try from 13 years old to in your 40s. Yeah. Yeah. That's never giving up. Damn straight. In the trenches. getting getting signed and getting dropped and then getting signed again and getting dropped and then not you know what i mean and then having all of these things happen that happens to musicians on a daily basis yeah 
and they keep moving forward year after year, time after time. And I think what happens now to a lot of musicians, they become very angry and very jaded right. because it, it is a tough industry and it is set up to eat you up and spit you out. Yeah. My dad used to always say, be nice to the people on the way up because you're going to see them again on the way down. <laughs> and, um, but what he did, what he didn't realize is sometimes you, you don't never get an up or down. Yeah. Sometimes you're just, you're just hanging they're there in this, this middle part that, you know, forever you think this is never, ever going to happen. So you do other things. Um, like I did, you know, I, I worked for Washburn and I traveled all over the world doing clinics, you know, then I worked for PV and I designed products for PV for a while. Then I did the TV thing. I mean, I have had, and I've gotten to work with all these people and meet all these professionals. Right. And the one thing I learned from meeting, you know, the, the, the biggest and the best and not some of the biggest and best. One thing I noticed they all had in common was, um, this, Ability to go from A, B, C, D, E. You got to have a, they were able to switch gears and you have to do that in the music industry. You can't see, have an end game in the music industry. If you have an end game, it's over before it even started. Right. If you want to be a rock star, that won't happen. You know what I mean? You have to go into it saying, I just want to make this project as good as I can make it. And then when it's done, you go, okay, now I'm ready for the next project. You can't go, this project is going to make me a huge superstar and I'll never have to work for these wages again or this price. And then I can charge whatever I want because I'll be in demand. And you, you, you really can't think of it in those terms. So for me, I think I got in this attitude over time because I was so eager to please everybody and do anything I could do for them to bless me with rock stardom. And then when it doesn't happen the way you want it to, or you get so close so many times, you end up realizing that if if you don't enjoy, Mm -hmm. you know what you're doing at that moment, that you're going to be this bitter guy that hates everything. And you'll never appreciate when you do get those things happen. So for me, sure. I was just happy to get to work when I, when the TV thing happened, I had no idea. Nobody knew duck dynasty was going to do anything. You know, <laughs> I was told it was a hunting show. I didn't even, I didn't even see any of the footage. I was just like, Oh, I'm writing some blues for the hunting show. <laughs> That's it. So talk about that a second, the, that process initially, what was the process between the television show people and your work, how did how did you lock that together? Especially if you hadn't seen anything, did they just ask for something, uh, a specific amount of time or a specific feel or flavor? Tell me about that process. Um, well, it was through my record label, and I got signed to a record label, and I was actually in the process of recording my first record, and um, and I put together all these demos from my studio, and I sent them to the record label. Because, you know, that's what you do when you're signed. You know, you got to show them what you're working on. And then they green light certain things and they make suggestions. And that's just how it goes. So I sent them a bunch of demos that I recorded in my studio with me playing all the instruments because it was just ideas. You know, it's just easier sometimes to lay down the parts yourself. And that's all I did. And then they came back to me and said, wow, these are really good sounding demos. Um, We, you know... I think you should just finish these out and we'll release this as your record. Cause I had every intention to get musicians, go into a studio, do all that. 
And they're like, these sound great. These you could release these as is. And I was like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah. You're who's playing drums and this? And I said, well, I did that, and that's this. And and they're like, wow, really? Just do it mm. yourself, man. That's really cool. So I had that encouragement. And then they said to me, hey, do you mind if we send some of these songs to a friend of ours? He does music for TV, and this is a segment of the um, industry we want to break into. And I was like, okay. And um, they sent my first record, the noise record kind of as a demo tape. Well, then they came back and said, and well, they told me I was from Mississippi and the show was, you know, Mm -hmm. in West Monroe, Louisiana, which was only like three and a half hours from where I lived. So they came back saying, have him send us music from where he lives because we have this new show. And they told me it was a hunting show that was filmed in Louisiana and they wanted more Mm -hmm. authentic music for the show. And I said, Oh, you mean like, this blues stuff, Robert Johnson stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I just started recording a lot of that. Well, again, growing up, all those blues recordings were raw. Like you were saying guttural and, and you know, so that's the only, so when I think blues, that's the only reference I have to blues. Sure. And then of course, living in Miss Meridian, Mississippi at the time. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Having that influence where the blues came from. <laughs> I mean, I could, you know, I couldn't have been in any better of a spot to get inspired to write blues. Um, I started sending them all that stuff hmm. and they just loved it. And like I said, the only cr- critique I got back right away was it sound, it was too studio. And they wanted it to sound raw. So then I really get, went, okay, here you go. Yes, get ready for it. You want raw? Here's raw. <laughs> get ready. And I gave them, there's my punk rock <laughs> attitude coming out. And I gave them as about as raw as I, I, I thought, right. you know, it, it needed to be. Ooh. And they loved it. And, and I mean, I got, there's, there's tracks on Duck Dynasty in the earlier episodes. I took a boot and I'm beating a boot on the on the hardwood floors of my house with a microphone laying on the ground. And that's the kick wow. that you hear on some of this stuff with me playing slide guitar. Very cool. It's just a boot boot on the floor. Kind of like the way that uh, uh, Al Green's Love and Happiness starts where it's just, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And so that's what I went back to. That In my head, that, that was, I was like, all right, I'm going to give you a boot on the floor. Here you go. Boom, boom, boom. And you EQ it a little bit. And all of a sudden, there, you know, you add a little this or that. You compress it. And all of a sudden, you put it in behind slide guitar. And you're like, oh, my God, this yeah. sounds like Pine Top Perkins. Or, you know, that was always my references. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up loving these guys. So I went back to that. I went, you know, to, to that part. Uh, so I, and it fulfilled like this, like kind of a goal or dream that I had always wanting to be like those guys. So here I saw, I'm like, wow, I have this opportunity. And then all of a sudden, you know, 11.8 million people are watching Duck Dynasty every week. It's, it's interesting how that sort of validates what you're doing. The fact that it's a part of something that big, what, what, what you were already doing. Yeah, what what you were well, already doing culture. that was really cool anyway, now everybody officially says it's cool because it's in front of so many people, I guess. How does that feel for you as an artist? Uh, it was weird. I thought I'd feel much better about it than I actually did, to be honest with you. Um, huh. When Duck Dynasty became huge and, you know, it's in Walmart and I'm getting, I didn't think people would ever listen to the music because it's, it's behind the dialogue. Right. Well, then I started getting people calling me and sending me emails. Um, <clears throat> I had Keb Mo, um, you know, call me to ask me what tuning 
I used in one of the slide guitar bits that I did on the show. Crazy, crazy. You know, and it's like, wow, people are really paying attention to this show, yeah. this thing. And it becomes a part of pop culture then at that point. Um, I thought I'd be like, you know, victory, I am the man. And <laughs> and I didn't get, I, it's not that way. It's really not. All of a sudden you go, oh man, okay. You know what I mean? When your people are stopping you in the middle of Walmart. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to do some shopping with my wife and people are taking yeah. pictures with me in the middle of Walmart because now I'm the duck guy who writes the music for Duck Dynasty. Right. And they're right. singing me songs, you know, in the middle of, of Walmart because they want me to yeah. produce them and stuff. Right. It's like this. And at the time, at the time you were still, you were still in Meridian, Mississippi at that point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which for people that don't know, it's my hometown. It's where, where Tony used to live. Yeah. Meridian is not very big <laughs> at <No>. all. <laughs> they, they have more than four stoplights, but it, you know, they roll the streets up at 9.15 p.m. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, but it was cool. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have those sets of issues um, as a musician. And I didn't know, to be honest with you, I really expected different doors to open to me than, than actually did open to me. So that's what I'm saying with, with a lot of musicians and, and people who want to get into this industry. You, you, it's very hard sometimes to take the information that's, that's coming in when it's not what you think it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden I have this TV career. Right. And I had very well-respected people in the music industry stick their nose up at me and going, well, don't think for one minute you have any success in the music industry. Now you're a jingle writer for TV. You're not a songwriter. Whoa. And that still happens to this day. So, so that hurts because it's, it's an industry and something that you've worked your whole life for. And, that, and, and especially when you don't expect it. Right. Because <laughs> now I'm thinking I'm validated. I'm a songwriter. Right. I, I, I right. just had 11.8 million people hear my music in one night. Where am I going that's yeah. to get any kind of radio airplay for that? And now with Duck Dynasty, you know, they average 6 million people, you know, between 3 and 6 million people every day watching reruns. And we're in, I, know, I can't tell you how many countries. Yeah. Yeah, syndication. It, it's amazing. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, I'm not complaining well, one bit, but... You get the ones when you start dipping back into the music industry going, okay, I have success now. Now I have a name. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then when they stick their nose up at you, it, it catches you off guard because you think you, you've accomplished something. Right. So, you, so it, is, it gets frustrating when you think you're always at square one, that it doesn't matter how much success you have somewhere, somebody right. over here. So, but, but that's why I'm telling, I tell guys, you can't, you can't focus on that. You can't focus on, on, on those things. What you have to do is just keep moving forward with the things that uh, the doors that are open, which for me became more TV shows. And then as I did more TV shows, you know, I got asked to do TV um, or beyond TV or beyond the radio and people wanted to know more right. about me. So I, you know, and the magazines were calling and interviewing me. And, and so I was able to get the message of what I wanted to get out there and tell my story a little bit and also make those pleas of, well, it didn't happen the way I thought, you know, if you're honest about it and if you go out there, people, people love an underdog, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
So I, I, I constantly feel, even with the success that I've had, that I'm still this underdog because, you know, I still have people like my first record. Right. Duck Dynasty became such a huge hit. Nobody cared about my record when it came out. You know, I called it the noise record because I got kind of, I really got into the studio and I started really using, I got a little cocky to be honest with you on that record because I thought, well, hey, I'm going to do it like this and I'm going to show all this and I'm going to do all these weird intros, manipulating the guitar and flipping the tracks backwards and fading it in. And, you know, I'm going to be Hendrix and all this to find out that my very first review, the guy says to me, well, at least he was honest about the title. Wow. And and that if that doesn't just knock you back down to, to earth and go, okay, I got you. Not everyone's going to get it. No. And my record label, which by the way is um, Down Boys Records, um, the, the band that owns that record is is Warrant. That, you know, Cherry Pie. I was all. just about to ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just about to ask. So they, they, they're the ones that signed me to the record label. They're the ones that got me hooked up with Duck Dynasty and everything. The guy, Jerry and, and, and Eric and the guys have been amazing to me and um, very supportive. And you know what the best thing Eric said to me when that review came out and I was all devastated? He said, welcome to the music industry, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's all you got to say? And, and he said, if it was really bad... You would have said, oh, yeah, you know, he goes, they don't, when things are, he goes, when it's good, that's when they criticize it. Huh. He's like, so think of it that way. Mm. He goes, nobody criticizes something that's truly awful. If it was the Macarena, he goes, they would have been like, oh, yeah, it's a nice tune. You know what I mean? Right, right. Because they, you know what I mean? You don't kick somebody when they're down when you're like, okay, that's truly awful. Right. He goes, but when something actually is artistic or something maybe they don't understand, well, right. yeah, then you know, they're going to bash you get something it. to talk yeah. about. Well, it, and, and he was right. He's like, he goes, look up online, read the review that Rolling Stone did for, for um, the first Led Zeppelin record. And he goes, and you'll feel so much better about your review. Right. And Rolling Stone trashed the first Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin one. They trashed it. They thought it was a dumb record. They didn't get it at all. And I was like, Oh, Okay, I feel so much better now. <laughs> You're in good company. Exactly. So, so then I realized real quick, um, you know, you have to, at some point in time, pat yourself on the back a little bit and go, you know what? I fulfilled the things I wanted sure. the album to be. Sure. And it did the things that I did. And like I said, I experimented a lot on that record. Um, there's some really good textures on that record but the you know what the best part of that record is what's that i licensed the whole damn thing out to a bunch of other shows i was never in the red i was i've been you know i'm in the black on it i never yep you know lost any i didn't lose a nickel on it i didn't make a whole lot but i didn't lose anything so i'm way ahead of the game on, on most people's records so you know and it got and it opened more doors that for, for me as a player and joe satriani wrote me a really cool little thing you know, a little thing for me to promote the record and stuff. And, uh, you know, that was nice. Cause you know, you meet these guys over time and, you know, being in the music industry, as long as I have, you, you, you build up these friendships and it right. was nice to have, to be able to call Joe, send him the record and have him go, Oh, here, here's a little quote for you to right. promote your record. And Gary Hoey did the same thing for me. And that was cool. I like that. And then having the warrant guys back in me and, and uh, you know, so it's been really, really uh, I, like I said, I, I feel blessed. And now a few years later, as this thing is moving forward and I did, an, you know, I've done another record and 
I did a Christmas record and now I got this new record coming out plus all the shows and stuff. Um, you know, just staying busy and moving this thing forward has been, um, it's a challenge though. It doesn't come easy. You know, you got to keep this thing going. You know, some people say, Oh, well, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. It, It is to a certain extent, but if you don't, keep pushing that snowball. <laughs> it's a snowball on a flat plane is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, sometimes you got to like, nudge it to keep going downhill. Cause right. you know, there's going to be all these, like you said, flat surfaces that it hits Yeah, and it'll lose momentum. So, so you, you have to be on it. You have to be, and you have to be honest with it as, as you move on. Well, let's, let's talk about that a second talk about the business part that is separate from the art in any given day. Do you have like a percentage, just rough, roughly, how much time is spent on the art versus how much time is spent on the business of what you do, building and nurturing those relationships and and handling that part of it? 90-10. Really? <laughs> I wish, yeah, 90% business, 10% art sometimes. I re- Except when you're in the studio. Right. I mean, but you, you don't, if you lived in the studio, and I did for a while there, it'll drive you insane. For sure. I mean, it, it does, you know, that studio, you got to get out and get amongst other humans because you start talking to things and you start, <laughs> you know, yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, it's, it, I always call it like castaway. Like yep. when he was talking to the ball. Yep. Wilson! Know, <laughs> right. That's that. what you do. All of a yeah. sudden you focus in and it's like, you know, I look at my Marshall Amp. All right, Marshall, what are we doing today? <laughs> well, okay, Marshall, you know, you start you get a little weird in the studio when you, when you're just surrounded by that kind of stuff, you know? Um, So getting out and getting some fresh air definitely um, is a good thing. So that's where, you know, like, I don't understand like certain guys, like you, you have certain guys that it takes them years to record a record. I mean, I get part of that, but if, if, if you, it's a balance, right. And that's any career is finding that balance for me. If you don't spend at least, 70% 70% of your time on the business, mm-hmm. you get no time for the creative. The right. creative doesn't exist then. Yeah. If, if, if you don't do your, your, to get the business part done, then there is no creative. I mean, so that's for me, it would be, it would be wonderful to be like some of these guys where they can spend a couple of months on a record and just be creative and write songs. And then the business just happens, you know, after the fact, sure. You know, for, for a working musician, like so many of us are, if you're not focused on the business part and and get that done, then there is no creative. So for me, that's why I say it's a it's a ninety ten split because I would love to spend to be creative all the time and make sounds mm-hmm. and figure out new ways of making new sounds. You know what I mean? I, I'm really I love doing that kind of thing and recording things a different way and you know, shoving a, a, a little condenser mic inside an acoustic guitar or, you know, re- miking the back of an amp, which is this miking technique that that James Burton showed me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, trying these other things being the you know, the creative part I absolutely love. I wish that could be eighty percent of my time. Right. But you know, if if your if your if your eye isn't on the prize and you don't take care of the business, then you don't get the ten percent to even try any of that stuff. So for me, that's <laughs> I, I I wish it was more even, but it's not. Right. Well, t- tell me this: if if you could look back and you think 
we've talked a lot about how you think your life should be versus how it really is versus, you know, working with what you're given. If you think back and think about an 18-year-old Tony, what would he think of Tony today? Oh, uh, well, 18-year-old Tony would probably tell me today, put down the the donuts. Um, (laughs) I'm there. I'm there. carbon it up, buddy. You know, Um, that'd be the first thing he'd say. You know, lose lose twenty pounds there. Um, but uh, besides, no, you know what? I, I I personally, I think me now would tell an eighteen year old version of me that be more be more yourself. Stop pleasing everybody. Mm-hmm. I had because I I wanted it so bad, and I wanted to pay attention and learn about this craft, and I just wanted it so bad. I think if I was more aggressive at a younger age and just kind of put my foot down and say, no, I want it like this. And I think it should be like that. If I trusted my instincts, maybe a little bit more at a younger age, um, I think it took me a little long to learn that lesson. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So 18, so 18 year old me, I think would look at me now and go, wow, you just don't care. It, It just seems like you just don't you know, give right. a crap, <laughs> you know, you're just so free and willing and you're just throwing it out there and yeah. laying it on the line. 18 year old me wouldn't have done it like I do it now. <clears throat> so personally, I think I would go back to 18 year old me and go, dude, just do it how you want it. You have good instincts. You were taught the right way. Just do it. Well, however you think it needed to be. And that, that's, I don't, I don't have any regrets because you know, that's maturity you know, or lack of maturity I had back then or, 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 you know what I mean? Cause right. again, I, I wanted to learn and I trusted a lot. I took a lot of advice from people that maybe had other motives. Sure. Cause I, I didn't realize at a young age, I thought everybody, you know, when you're 18 and you're in a band and people want to record you and you're playing gigs and you think, well, everyone wants to help me. Right. Everybody wants We're to all on friend. the same team together. Yeah. No. Right. No, no. But what you don't, but you know, and then 40 year old me looks back and goes, Oh, what an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I should have just said, no, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I'm going to do. You know, especially, you know, moronic band members that you have over time. And then we all have them. We've all been in bands with, with people like that. Yep. And, and that would be my only advice to a younger me is kick that one out. He's a waste of your time. Get this one in here. Forget this one over there. You don't have to be loyal to this guy. Yeah. He don't owe you none because he's going to stab you in the back down the line anyway. So those little, those things, you know, I, I would tell myself, but, um, but it all, but those things had to happen for me to be who I am today. So, sure. and the ironic part is, you're probably more punk rock now in your 40s than you were when you were in your teens. Absolutely. Oh, I feel it too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. I, I, I would, if I ever met Steve Albini, um, I, that's what I'm saying. I think part. I think the kid in me would come out and be all like intimidated. But if I could just meet him and get to know him a little bit, I think you know who I am today. 
Yeah. I think we'd be like buddies. We'd yeah. be like, you know, yeah. we'd go have a beer and, you know, eat some brats and have some pizza. And we'd be, you know, it, it, I'm sure the language would be quite colorful. You know, <laughs> he and I talking together and yeah. I would love every second of it. As a kid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have appreciated it as much. Right. Cause I, anything he said was, was this golden nugget. So I would have just been like, really? Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh my God. You know, yeah. now I'd be like, oh, that, no, come on. You know, now I have an opinion. Now I'm more comfortable with myself. Cause again, like I said, maturity and, and, and stuff like that. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, man, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. We Man, we've been going for like an hour. This is this has been awesome. Okay. And, and this is the kind of kind of talking that you and I have not been able to do very much. I mean, no. most of the time when you and I have been talking, it's been, hey, what song are we playing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, I know, What, what I know. key is that one in? So, yeah. uh, so Let's go. Been, Here we go. <laughs> Count it off. Yeah, yeah, this has been so cool to, to get to talk with you. I want to acknowledge you for really building something cool and unique, man. It's inspiring to me to look at what you've done to create your own unique place in the world. And let me just, in that acknowledgement, tell you that the music business is all kinds of things. And in your case, I think you've built something so singular that you are your own kind of music business. And that's probably the highest compliment I think I'd ever pay anybody is I can't, I I can't really think of any, anybody that I know that has built your kind of music business that is so singularly you, both in terms of how you do things and how you sound and how it affects people on such a visceral level, such, such a deep, deep heartfelt level. And, uh, and it's probably the reason why the people that call you to do what you do, why they call you. So I want to acknowledge you and, and, and thank you for being an inspiration for that. Let, thank you. Let me wrap up with one last question. Sure. And this, this really, I think, is going to help somebody that was like you back in probably their teens and early 20s. Let's, let's go back for a second. Let's just pretend it's 2016, okay. but you're 18 years old again, okay? Okay. So all the stuff that you've done and your reputation and who Tony Pasco is to everybody in the world now is completely gone. And all you have is your fire and your passion and your, your drive, a thousand bucks and a MacBook Pro. What would you do to get yourself started? Oh, a thousand bucks, man. That is a lot of money. I'm, that would be, and a MacBook, yeah. man, I'm way ahead where I ever started. <laughs> oh man, that, I got to tell you, they can, see for me, the tracks, a lot of people call them their kids. A lot of people get very emotional when it comes to it. And, and I have, of course, have an attachment to everything that I do as well. Um, <clears throat> some things work for, for different reasons. And I look back at certain things and some things I can honestly say, wow, I can't believe I did that. That came out pretty good. Or there was a good tone on that. Or, you know, that's terrible. You know what I mean? I, 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 I try to look, but if I, if all that went away and I had to start from scratch, which sometimes that's how I feel every day <laughs> that I'm starting from scratch. Um, and I had, again, Thousand dollars, you know what kind of mic I could buy for a thousand dollars and what kind of compressor I can get yeah. for a thousand dollars, plug that sucker into my Mac. And I and I gotta tell you, maybe I wouldn't spend the whole thousand on those two. I'd probably go back to a pawn shop, buy the cheapest mic right. and and the cheapest compressor, or at least try and find a nice 
used tube compressor, which would be amazing. Yeah. I take that MacBook, I buy a plane ticket, and I travel and just start recording everywhere. Wow. And and for me, it's always the journey. You know, when I start a new project, I look at every project like it's my first one. <clears throat> so I, I don't look back at what I've done and just say, well, hey, I'm the duck guy. I've done this. Eh, you know, shows come and go. That show could be gone tomorrow. All these shows could go could go by the wayside. You know, when I got into this project w- with Fred LeBlanc, like I said, we had no agenda. We just sat in a room together and said, hey, I got this riff. Boom. And we wrote a song. Hey, I got this riff. Or he goes, hey, I got this lyric with this melody. And boom. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's when you get past that part of it is when I think you start setting yourself up. And don't take yourself so seriously. And, and, and if you start relying on your resume, I mean, that to me, who, you know what I mean? Who cares? Right. Nobody really, that doesn't mean anything to anybody but, but you and maybe your mom. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? My mom loves telling my resume to everybody. It means something to her. You know what I mean? To me, eh, yeah, yeah I've done these things. You know, who cares? What's next? And, and I like that part of it. I don't, I don't want to rely on what I, what I just did um, because I'm so curious if what I did allows me to do something that I really want to do, then that's the payoff for me. Right. You know what I mean? If, 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 if I did a project that opens some doors that allows me to, do, to work with a Fred LeBlanc or do these great, cool projects... That, to me, I, that's what makes me excited. I'm about the work. I love the work part of it. And so many musicians, you know, I had this guy, great singer that I wanted to work with, and he couldn't get past himself. And I'm like, learn this. He kept saying, well, when we go to perform, I could wear this shirt. What shirt are you going to wear? And I'm like, dude, who cares what shirt you're going to wear? And he's like, well, yeah, but we got to be, you know, color coded and all this. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to tell you something. When you're on stage, if you suck, it doesn't matter what kind of shirt you have on. You're the guy that sucks in the nice shirt. It doesn't matter. You could look like a homeless, smelly dude. If you rock out, you know what people are going to remember? Dude, that homeless, smelly guy rocked the house. (laughs) So it's not about what you wear. You know what I mean? And that's why I I was trying to get him. And I understand our society and everything's kind of set up for that. None of that matters. Right. None of that is important. You know what I mean? If, if you can go up there and give a part of yourself with that audience and you give them a good time, because you know, a lot of people who get stage fright, the first thing I always tell them is, you're your own worst enemy. The audience wants you to succeed. When you jump on stage, before you say a note or play a note or sing a note, they're clapping. Yep. They want you to succeed. They want to be entertained. They're already on your side. You're the one that's going to turn them against you. That's great advice. You know what I mean? So, so you have that power. So for me, to have $1,000 and a MacBook and to start from scratch, yeah. they can't take away the knowledge that I have. You know what I mean? Or the confidence. Or, or you know what I mean? What I've done doesn't mean anything. It's what I'm doing currently. So I, I try to keep things in perspective and that keeps me grounded. You know, that keeps me a little angry and a little, <laughs> you know, behind the eight ball. Oh yeah. You know, that's that punk old blues, punk rock thing, you know? And again, I, that, that has been my, my savior, I think in a lot of ways, my saving grace, my, maybe my secret weapon is my attitude because 
Um, it's not that I don't care, but I do come off sometimes like, Hey, this is what I do. This is it. This is how we do it. At some point in time, you got to get over yourself and just go and do it. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. I did something a few years ago that I thought would never happen to me. It was every musician's fear. I started a song and I started it wrong. And what do you do? Do you keep playing the song wrong? You know what I mean? So I stopped. I went to the mic and said, oops, I'm going to do that again. Sorry about that. And I started, and you know what? I got a huge applause. Yeah, the the, the roof didn't cave in on you and the floor didn't fall out. My life didn't end. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. I started it again. We rocked out the song. Everybody, I got a standing ovation probably one of the first times in my life for screwing up the intro of a song. Just because you were honest. I was human and I was human. And that's what people want to see. They don't want perfection. They want humanity. And, and, and so it, that's the only thing I can offer them. I can't offer them perfection. I'm not good enough musician for perfection. That's why in my recordings and everything I do, all I can give them is me. And thank God so far, that's just worked. I'm the only me there is. So that's all I can give them. If, if everybody that's listening takes nothing else away, that last bit, you're just you and there's nobody else like you. I think that's the biggest takeaway anybody could do. But that's hard to do. Three, three things, you know, is love it and be in the moment with it. Do the work and just be you. I think those are, those are three things that if anybody has gotten to this point, if you're going to take something away from this, take those three things away because that sounds like a winning formula to me, Tony. It really does. That's all I can do. Be in the I moment, try. do the work. And the guys who are the best at it, like you and and the Brendan O'Briens and 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 the Butch Viggs and the, and the Steve Albinis, I guarantee you sit them down in a room and they these are humble, hardworking guys. Yeah. And they're, I guarantee they probably would say something very similar. And I much rather be, you know, put in the same sentence as those guys yes. than, than some others that maybe are maybe right. much bigger stars. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming and talking to me, Tony. I mean, I really do appreciate this. And uh, Thank at, you. I appreciate it. And at some point, I'm just going to get a wild hair and decide that I want to leave Atlanta for a couple of days. I'm going to drive to the beach, and I'm just going to show up. <laughs> I'm just going to go, hey, uh, you got a couch. Hey. I just need to chill out. Absolutely. If you're going to move anywhere, um, move to the beach. That's that's my other thing. When I grow up, I want to be like Tony Pasco, and I want to move to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm not going to oh, lie to you. Man. It is wonderful here. And you're always welcome to come on down. And, uh, and anyways, you're one of my favorite people, not only just to hang out with, and um, great drummer, oh. if everybody out there does not know that already. Thank you. You're, you're an amazing, Thank wonderful you. drummer. You. We're, we're going to get a chance to play together again soon. Soon, I'm sure. So Great. Well, cool, man. Well, that's, uh, that, that's it for now. And uh, I have a feeling that after this one gets out that there's going to be a part two. There's going to be a lot of people that want to hear more of Tony Pasco and, and these. It's been like sitting with Yoda for an hour. This great. is awesome, man. I appreciate it. Ah, <laughs> Thanks, I don't man. know about that. But, uh, but yeah, hey, and if anybody, just to keep in touch with me, you know, I'm on all the social media networks and all that, but, you know, you can reach me through my website, TonyPasco.com, and 
Yeah, you're, you know, yeah, say hi to Facebook, me on Facebook yeah, and Instagram. You're pretty much on all the socials, too. You do a pretty good job of that and putting stuff out there. So you're easy to find. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And I invite people to come and say hi. You know, like I said, I'm not, I, I've had some people, oh, I would never come and say hi. And they think I'm like something that I'm really not. I'm just, I'm just a guy. You're a dude. You're a dude like the rest just of us. Hi. Yeah. Just a, <laughs> right. You're a good dude. That's the important <laughs> thing. Cool, man. Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. So there you have it. That's my buddy, Tony Pasco. Please, if you enjoyed our conversation, reach out to him on social media. He's very easy to find. And just uh, tell him how much you enjoyed it. Give him a thank you. He would certainly appreciate that. And, and I would appreciate it, too. And if you have any questions, we're going to open up the question email. It's real easy. You just uh, send us an email to faderjocks at gmail.com if you have any questions about the past two episodes questions for our guests uh, we'll try and put those together and in the future I'm going to have Tony back I'll have Matt from last week back and and we'll try and answer some of your questions Uh, also follow us Facebook Twitter Instagram we're all over the social networks here with the podcast make sure you follow us leave a note and uh Share about your setup and the work you're doing. Just hashtag us with hashtag Fader Jocks so that uh, so that I can take a look at it and uh, we can acknowledge you for the awesome stuff that you do. And uh, please go visit our sponsors: Waves Audio Plugins, FreshBooks, and Alpha Brain by Onnit. You can go right to our site, faderjocks.com, click any of the links or the ads that you see for those companies, and that just helps us to offset the uh, cost of putting the show out there to you guys. And I want to thank you for the opportunity of coming to you again this week and, and really doing three things, adding to your life and your career potential, helping you embrace your own creativity, and helping you to have the courage to do more great work. So with that in mind... Come on, guys, let's go out there this week and let's be awesome.